this week's been a tough one. Um, I've had so many things um, trying to get in my way. I've just noticed today as we've been here with guitars not working and uh, USB sticks that should work that don't work and all these little things add up. So I hope for you there's been nothing more serious than that. It's just been a little irritation like a fly. So the Lord of the Flies, he knows his destiny. And so he's going to the grave, whereas we are going to walk on the new earth with Jesus. So today's all about worship. And before we get into it, I just want us to really convict our own hearts and recognize that in Christ, we already have the victory. Ros, earlier on, you said about standing. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The enemy wants to throw us off. But what he does is that he just alerts that God's up to something. So I want you to prepare your hearts, keep your eyes on God, and let's see what he'll do. Because he's about the business of the kingdom, as Dan's just shared and Jesus is seated in authority, interceding for us right now. So we want to catch all of that and more. So last week, Helen started this series. We're calling it Breathe. It's about learning the rhythms of following uh, our King Jesus. And last week, um, Helen kicked us off wonderfully by looking at the Word of God and um, we, uh, we recognize that most of us today, they don't carry around one of these big Bibles anymore. It's become too inconvenient for us to do that. So instead, we have the convenience of maybe, I don't know, 20, 30, 100 versions in your pocket. And um, that's become the norm. But I think there's something nice about the Bible and uh, in this kind of form. And so today, I just want to take us on a bit of a journey with worship and understand where we fit in God's timeline. So if we could click on love. The act of breathing, you've not been aware you've been doing it since you've been here, unless you've stopped and thought. But uh, often like when we were praying at the beginning for uh, Eddie and Lily, by the way, guys, wonderful Thank you for leading us today into worship. We really felt that we were in the throne room with you. Um, but we took a breath. We took a big breath. And so sometimes we can kind of tune into our breathing. So I want us to do this using this little exercise. So as it hits the top of the circle, you breathe in. Hold it. And as it comes to the bottom, breathe out. Let's just do that a couple of times. Breathing in and breathing out. Now imagine trying to do that all day when you're trying to concentrate on something else. So it's quite amazing, isn't it, that your body does that without you even realize you're doing it. God fundamentally has designed you to function almost independently of yourself, uh, which is quite nice because I think there'd be times where I forget stuff. And if I forgot to breathe for a few minutes, I might be in trouble. So... Uh, so yeah, it's so subconscious, it's just there. But when we become aware of it, it's, um, it's something quite, quite profound. Um, next slide, please, love. Now, I want you to imagine the rhythm of the ocean waves 
And uh, I know my friend Dave right in front of me here. Uh, if he could, he'd probably spend his life in the waves. So uh, keen surfer, and when he gets a chance, he goes away. But there's something about the ocean with that tidal rhythm that sweeps in and sweeps out. And just what you can see there is that same breathing circle. So as it comes to the top, we'll breathe in and we'll breathe out. And we'll breathe in and we'll breathe out. And you see your lungs, they're creating this wave of oxygen that flows through your body. And somehow the big world out there is connected to little old you. And we're wired in a way that we kind of, we have a rhythm. We might not even realize we have a rhythm, but we're connected to the world around us. Now you might think, gosh, this is a little bit new agey today. What's all this stuff about? But actually you couldn't be further from the truth because... If you know anything about the theology of God and uh, the word ruach, you understand that the spirit of God is the breath of God. And so when Jesus is raised from the grave, the first thing he does, does is get back in the room with his mates and he breathes that spirit of life into him. So when we're breathing in, yes, we're breathing in the air around us and probably a little bit of pollution too and other stuff like that, but mostly oxygen, we hope. But we can tune in in a very natural way to receiving the Holy Spirit. And there's, there's an ancient practice called breath prayer, and we're going to do some of that now. So under your breath, you would pray. So you wouldn't say this out loud. I'm going to say it out loud so you know what we're going to pray. Um, but as you breathe in, you'd say one prayer. As you breathe out, you'd say another prayer. So let's try it. So when we breathe in at the top of the circle, we're going to under our breath, pray, fill me up, Lord. And as we breathe out, give me your peace. Let's try that. Fill me up, Lord. Give me your peace. Fill me up, Lord. Give me your peace. I breathe you in. I breathe out fear. I breathe you in, I breathe out fear. Draw us to you, Lord. Send us out, Lord. Draw us to you, Lord. Send us out, Lord. And at the end of the week when Keris came home, I showed her that little exercise. Um, sometimes work gets a bit stressful and I said, just... You can do this anywhere. You could be at your desk. You could be out on assignment like she was this week and things didn't quite go to plan. But just in your breathing, you can just tune into God and just recognize the Holy Spirit is there with you. Remember what Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So these exercises of um, breathing and prayer, you might think, what's that got to do with worship? Well, we're going to kind of connect all the dots together now. And if we go on to the next slide, please, love. Um, so the week before last, Helen and I had a conversation, um, sitting down with a blank calendar saying, Lord, wh where are we going? What should we do as we look ahead? And we, um, we cottoned on to this thing of the rhythms of following Jesus. And we thought, what's the, what's the things that we'd want to tell our kids and our grandkids that are so fundamental about our faith that we would imagine it 
carrying on for 10 and 20 generations? What's so fundamental that you can't put it aside? You know, the likes of Bethel comes and goes. Who knows what worship our grandkids will be listening to. Um, it might not be the worship that we might choose, but you can look back in history and you can see how there's just been new waves of uh, different worship that fits the culture that uh, that comes along. But behind that all, we wanted to um, we wanted to think, well, what's 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 the non-negotiables of our faith? Um, now, if you're a good Muslim, you could easily sit here and give me a, a rote. Uh, description of what you have to do in your faith. We, we don't like that. I mean, some Christianity is like that, and it's very liturgical, and that's that's all well and good. But we like to think that we've got freedom. But actually, the freedom that we have is is anchored around certain things. And if we don't have these things in place, then we've got a problem. So each of these things... Um, we need to take urgent action if they're missing in our lives. Uh, if we're not engaging with the word, if we're not worshiping, gathering in worship, if we're not trusting God with our money and time, if we're not sharing in prayer, prayer and we're not following the call to mission, something is um, urgently wrong with our faith. And if we pass that on to our kids, there's going to be a problem. So in the same way as if you stop breathing, I would hope you'd call triple zero. So do you know how long you've got if you stop breathing? A matter of a few minutes. It's serious. And I'm not joking when I say that these things, they're serious because um, in the same way as Jesus, uh, as um, God said to Adam and Eve, um, the day you eat of this fruit, you'll surely die. And everybody speculates this. It's wonderful watching the theologians come up with their theories. But God was right. From the moment that happened, they died. In the same way as once D-Day was, was won, the war with Germany was over. There's this period of time. And so death entered in at that point. And so we might not even realize it, but a bit like a, a frog in a, in a pot of water. You try and drop a frog in a, in a boiling pot of water, it's going to jump straight back out. But you know how you cook a frog? You just gradually turn up the heat until it gets so lethargic it doesn't notice that it's dying. And that's the way that our enemy works with us oftentimes. It's in the little things that we miss that he's able to uh, um, distract us and take us out. So if we think our current earthly lives are worth saving, um, how much more should we be concerned about our eternal lives? And it's not just us. You've got to think of yourself and the seed that you carry within you and the generations that flow from you. If we are faithful, we give our children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren a chance of being faithful. Remember the blessings that flow down the generations. And um, what is it? Four generations, is it you get a blessing? A thousand. It's a pretty good deal, isn't it? If you're faithful... Somebody could say, a thousand generations along. My great ancestor, Phil, he was faithful to, to the Lord. He did everything that was required of him. We'd love it if our kids and our grandkids said that of us. But we need to think in these terms because uh, this, is, uh, this is the world that God has saved. 
we're already 2,000 years into uh, um, Jesus showing up on the earth. And uh, the people of God have been in existence for thousands of years before that. So last Sunday, uh, Helen spoke on hearing the word. Um, if we could click along. So these rhythms uh, are life signs of a healthy faith. And um, we need to be urgently um, looking at ourselves if we're missing any of them. But the week before, Dan led us through a Visio Divina exercise. We looked at this picture. And the word that the Lord spoke to my wife was uh, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I think that wonderfully illustrates that in the same way as he spoke to each of you uniquely in your own way. Um, but uh, I want you to uh, just remember, who, who remembers Psalm 119? Why was that so special? Because it was, it's long. It's special because it's long, yeah. And uh, we skip over it in school. Did anybody get to pick a psalm and pick that one just to uh, slow down the whole school day or anything like that? How many verses? 176. We've got a SWAT at the back here. She knows her stuff. And what's it about? Not Helen this time. What's it about? It's about God's Word. Did anybody read it this week? No, so nobody thought I might read that. It's all about God's Word and how great it is. 176 verses sounds like a lot. Probably took about four or five minutes to get through. I'd encourage you to read it because... Um, when we're talking about worship, the very book that we've been left, that we call the Word, is full of worship. It defines what worship is. And in generations past, um, the Matt Redmonds of that day, they wrote wonderful worship for us to be able to join in with. So engage with the Psalms. It's, uh, it's part of our heritage and inheritance. So uh, let's pass it on to the kids. Um, so, God's inviting us in this series to walk with him and to walk towards him. And as we put these five things together, you can say, well, Jonathan, how do you know those five things are the keys and the essentials? Because we don't have an Islam thing, the five pillars of Islam. Um, where's this written down? Well, not helpfully, it's not really written down somewhere. You could follow the Westminster Catechism or you could look into uh, certain aspects of church history and uh, different expressions of church, um, we'll see, have picked up these things in slightly different ways. But uh, I feel encouraged that we're on the right path because uh, two days after Helen and I had this conversation with God, if we click on love, um, I knew that we were on the right track because I'd been given a book uh, in Wales and I started reading it. And in the foreword of the book, uh, this guy, Charles Whitehood, he writes, the author reminds us we all need a pattern for living, which will enable us to dwell in God's presence and to be continually reformed in his image. When we think about it, this will involve a rhythm of prayer and Bible reading, listening, meditation, and solitude. But we should also remember that he's a missionary God who calls us to partner with him. So we must trust him to provide for our needs so that we can be good stewards of our time and possessions. 
So he hits upon all things there as we're going to see as we dig into worship. It's all about God's presence. And so straight away I knew that we just had to keep walking in this way and that the Lord is going to illuminate things for us. If we can have the next slide, please, love. So let's kind of draw into worship. When we talk about gathering in worship, it's all about his presence. We're coming before his throne and seeking his face. And so as we read there in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you've got your phones, you're welcome to look them up. Or if you've got your Bibles, uh, I'll give you a moment to uh, have a look at that. The first verse, verse 4 is there. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. Lovely to see cornerstone in the songs today. It's wonderful how God speaks to you in terms of what songs to pick and how that kind of correlates. If we're coming to a church where Christ isn't the cornerstone, I suggest you run because it's not his church. This is all about Jesus. We're gathering to him. If it doesn't align with him, if the whole building doesn't look like him, sound like him, then I suggest that you are in the wrong church. So let's read this passage together. I hope you got there now. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 4. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Watch more. What, what, what's more, you are his holy priests. Through the meditation, sorry, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Yes, you who trust him, recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you're not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you were God's people. Once you had received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Peter, first one. He was first in everything, remember? Until, uh, what was that day? John beat him that time and John wanted to let us know in the word that uh, he got there first. Um, but Peter... He was the first one to say, you are the Christ. And Jesus said to him, upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon that statement that he is the king, that the church would be built. And here he is writing this letter later on to God's children. And he's telling them. And God's children, not just the Jews. I mean, imagine giving these terms for the first time to the Gentiles. Royal priests, holy nation, God's very own possession, God's people, God's temple, holy priests. Peter's saying, you're it. You're it. That's who you are. You get the lot. And so Peter sets out for us what it means to come to gather um, in worship as we come to Christ. We are his people. And as we gather, we're thinking back to his people who've gathered long before the church. The church 
may have started around the time that Jesus came, but God's people and the relationship that God has had with them extends before that. And so Peter takes all of these terms and he renews them in the context of the church. But that temple theme is important because that temple theme is all about God's presence, the overlap between heaven and earth. So whether it was the tabernacle or the temple or Jesus, the little wandering tabernacle, I love that little video from the Bible Project. I think it's just such a wonderful illustration. It's all about the fact that Jesus now becomes the template for us. And each of us is a temple. There's an overlap in us as living stones between heaven and earth. But what Peter reminds us is that it's amazing that as an individual, you can be a, a place where Christ lives. But it's only as we're being built together in his temple that Christ comes to um, fully live in our midst, in the overlap between heaven and earth. Paul repeats that same uh, vision, if we can move on to Ephesians 2, 22. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So um, as we've looked at the word, we're now going to hear from uh, some people um, in terms of churches and pastors and theologians. So here we have our vineyard values. Um, you can go to vineyard.org.au and read this. Worship is key to everything we do in the vineyard, and our relationship with God is the foundation we base our lives upon. The experience of the kingdom of God, and thus the experience of God's presence, is central to our faith and Christian life. We value gathering as a people in the midst of God's presence. And something happens when we gather together. The presence of God shows up in new and unexpected ways as he ministers through his body. And each of you has something to bring. We can't be the church if you don't show up. So every one of you has to carry something of what God's given you to be that expression of God's temple. If we go on to the John Piper quote, thank you, love. Worship is what we were created for. This is the final end of all existence, the worship of God. God created um, the universe so that it would display the worth of his glory. And he created us so that we would see his glory and reflect it by knowing and loving it. With all our heart and soul and mind and strength, the church needs to build a common vision of what worship is and what she is gathering to do on a Sunday morning and scattering to do on a Monday morning. Another quote from John Piper, and I think this one um, comes from his pastoral heart of many years of leading a congregation. The greatest stumbling block for children in worship is that their parents do not cherish the hour. Children can feel the difference between duty and delight. Therefore, the first and most important job of a parent is to fall in love with the worship of God. You can't impart what you don't possess. Or as our dear old friend John Wimber used to say, you can't serve what you ain't cooking. So again, this is about the generations. When we gather, we're teaching one generation to the next what it means to follow our God. Next slide, please, love. So Paul teaches us that the church is no social club, uh, no cozy hangout. We gather in worship as the church to proclaim a new cosmic order. 
Jesus has become king of the heavens and earth. God is making all things new. Darkness and death must flee. Now it tries to have a go. And we don't want to give it the attention because it's just trying to steal our focus from the king. So this is what uh, Paul said in, in Ephesians 3 verse 10. God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, maybe you just thought you'd come in here just to hang out. The kid's doing some coloring. But there's a loud word being shouted in this gathering to all the powers and principalities that have stolen worship from our Lord. And what you're proclaiming by being here, by singing, by listening, by engaging with God's word, by sharing fellowship over a cup of tea, is that you are declaring to the dark powers, your days are numbered, get out the way. God's people <laughs> are the inheritors of the new earth. Now, you might not think of like that when you come to church, but that's the reality of who we are. And that's the reality sometimes when we have to encounter um, things of brokenness and, and um, people who need healing. We physically engage and we feel that conflict and that battle. But that's what it means to gather in worship. Jesus himself, um, he didn't talk about the church a lot. Funny, isn't it? He talked all about the kingdom. Only twice did he mention the church. But this is what he said on uh, Peter's testimony that he was the Christ, the king. I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. So you can see right there at the foundation for Jesus, this is about pushing back against those who have rebelled and who've stolen uh, what is rightly God's. So when you stand in this place, you stand in your full authority. The word ecclesia uh, means a called out assembly. You're called out of the world. You've been redeemed from the darkness and transferred through to the kingdom of light. You've been called out. And as we assemble together, we are the church. If we click on one more time. You cannot do church alone or even with just a few friends that you happen to like. It's one of the biggest lies that goes around in this generation. But actually, we'll see in the moment, it was going around before this Bible was written. Some were in the habit of not showing up and turning up. And so you need to speak, and you need to speak with authority. It's not about the minister of God, the uh, pastor, the whoever it is, the elder. It's about you, the church. If you see brothers and sisters in Christ who think that they can sit at home and not show up at church and not get involved, they're deceived and you need to challenge them. And yet some of these people, they, they clearly are gifted Christians. They, they, they're full of the Spirit. But it's a lie to believe that you can be part of the church and go alone. It's impossible. There's no word for it. So I just encourage you, to challenge those who, who, who feel like that. I had friends who were at church with some 15 years ago, good friends in a small group, and over time they stopped coming to church, their marriages fell apart, and then they stopped believing. Now some people have a notion that once saved, always saved. It's not what it says in the book. Because if you don't believe, if you don't believe that Jesus has died for you, 
when you stand before him, are you still going to have those doubts? And if they've turned their back on him, I hope that there's a moment between now and their last breath where they realize that what Jesus said is the whole deal. We, we, we cannot ignore him. If we reject him, there is nothing else. So this is serious. And we need to understand what it means to be church. It means to be his people gathered for his purposes, not our own. And we don't get to make up what it says. People start coming up with crazy ideas of what, you know, the reality of what church is. And it's nothing like what it says in this book. We've got to challenge people around that. If you see a brother wandering away, it says in Scripture, it's the most loving thing you can do is to not, not jump down their throat and have an argument. That's not what this is about. Just think, if this were your own children, and I know this is a challenge, as we see our children sometimes not following in the footsteps of God, we want to win people back to the safety of what God has put in place, to the safety of his word, to the safety of gathering in worship, because we know that these are the people who continue to grow and deepen their love and relationship with God and each other. Uh, next slide, please. Um, what did the church do at the beginning? The believers formed a worshipful community. We can read it in Acts 2, and we've done this in a number of ways. And uh, it starts out, if we go back, love, please. They worshipped together each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So we're going to read through that whole passage together. And again, this kind of just sets the life of what the church looks like. And it touches on uh, all of these five things. But you see what worship is at the heart of the early church. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Next slide, please. They sold their property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Who's saved? Who's being saved? I know people get confused about that. Am I saved or am I not saved? We're saved. The moment that you put your trust in Jesus, his blood, and we're going to share in his meal that he left for us, uh, to do in remembrance of him in a moment. We have full confidence in that salvation. But who's got it all together? <laughs> who's perfected? I, saw, I thought I saw a hand there, but it was just somebody scratching their face. Uh, <laughs> we're being saved, and we've got to be honest about where we're at. Okay, but Jesus has done it, and he invites us to be changed from the inside out. But um, what a wonderful picture is of what it means to be the church at the beginning. This stuff, I don't know, 
sometimes I think the vineyard can be too cool for school and it kind of catches a little bit of the culture where we don't want to look too interested, you know, just keep a little bit back, you know, don't, don't, don't give, give it all out there. Uh, this is counter to worship. I tell you what, the people who know what's going on are the worship leaders and the worship band up the front here. They see who's holding back. And you can't really hold back, really, with Jesus. We're going to see that in a moment. If we are, there's, there's something not quite right. Um, so I'm not talking about heavy burdens. I'm not talking about doing things that, do you know what I mean, are, are just dry and dull and boring. They might feel dry and dull and boring uh, initially, but you've got to find ways where all of these things are weaved in your life. And so we read, if you go to the next slide, I, w- I love the way Eugene Peterson writes it here in the message. And it's probably his most quoted uh, verses out of the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to freely uh, live freely and lightly. When you walk in these things, they become so instinctive. And you know those older saints through their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s, maybe even in their hundreds. And they've been around the block a few times. You can't even see, you, you know, what's going on. They're gliding across the water like a swan. You can't see the effort that's going into it. But they've developed these patterns at work in their lives. And this is what's bringing the life. And I look up to folks like that and I think, oh, one day <laughs> when I grow up, I'd like to be like you. And we might start like that as kids. But I tell you, there's people ahead who've got kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, and they're leading them all to the Lord, praying for them all. And I'm thinking, yes, yes, that's what I'm going for. So again, be thinking not just about you, be thinking about you in the context of the generations and those who follow after you. And another way of looking at it, so we've looked at Jesus was the word at the beginning, what the church did in the context of... um, their response to uh, the cross and gathering together, Pentecost. We've been on a bit of a journey this year with Jesus' appearances post-Pentecost, his ascension. Um, But another way we can get a window on this is looking at what happens at the end. Now, some of you might remember this. Um, Elijah helped me carry it in, and he didn't remember it, so I'd be surprised if you do. So this is something Helen and I were drawn to for the church a long time ago. And um, there's this wonderful verse at the end of the book that talks about the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. And it's a picture of the new earth. And you know what? You can read it there in Revelations 4. We can see what the church looks like at the end. We know what's coming. We have absolute assurance. The church is gathered in worship around the throne. So... Um, a theologian, you might not know him, he was a very key theologian. He wrote this, the church is constituted as a new people who've been gathered from the nations to remind the world that we are in fact one people. Gathering therefore is an eschatological act as it is a foretaste of the unity of the communion of the saints. Every time we gather in worship, it's a rehearsal for that great day when Jesus returns. Let me say that again. 
every time we gather in worship. And it could be this gathering here or two or three of you in your home praying together or just listening to uh, a song, having your own carpool karaoke going on, something like that. Every time you gather, it's a rehearsal for the great day on which Jesus returns. I want you to imagine the scene, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language of the earth, every people group represented, the whole inheritance that Jesus died for gathered in finally. I wonder who gets to lead worship that day. <laughs> good to have an ambition to be there wouldn't it wouldn't it be lovely Christ is at the center and we sing to him now because of the connection that we have through the Holy Spirit but we'll see him face to face can you feel something inside of you can you feel your skin and your hairs and your body react because we're talking about something of the end and you'll be in your new bodies then but something now in these frail old little bodies is just calling out for that in the same way as creation does around us. So I want you to see this worshipful timeline from the beginning to the end. And Christ appears in the middle of time and he leaves us the markers that we need to focus on. He didn't leave us much. You need to get baptized. That means walking away and renouncing the ways of old and walking towards Christ and giving him your loyalty. And we need to come together around this table and to remember him as the slain lamb of God. So in Revelation 4, um, I haven't got time to read all of Revelation 4 and 5. I'd love to, and I encourage you to do that. That's kind of the homework. Psalm 119, the homework from last week, the homework, Revelation 4 and 5. Then I looked to know a door open in heaven, the trumpet voice the first voice in my vision called out, ascend and enter. I'll show you what happens next. I was caught up at once in deep worship and oh, a throne set in heaven with one seated on the throne. We don't have to imagine too much. It's in the word. Now, this takes a little bit of time to unpack. Thank you for your patience. We're nearly there. I'm going to go quickly through a simple acrostic that kind of pulls together elements of what the gathering in worship looks like. So if one day you're ever asked to do this and you're in charge of leading a home group, running a prayer meeting, putting together a worship service like this, these are the parts that we see at work often. So the first thing we see is gratitude. <laughs> Then we gather to acclaim, we gather to testify, we gather to hear, we gather to encourage, and we gather to remember. Let's quickly go through them with a few scriptures. So gratitude. And again, think back to the people of old coming to the physical temple, the Psalms of Ascension on the way up to Jerusalem before you get to the gates. Then we get to Psalm 100 and, and verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says in Ephesians 5.20. If we're not coming to the gatherings with thankfulness, we're already somewhere behind the eight ball. We need to come to this place thankful because if we're, if we're not thankful, 
we've got some issues that uh, we need to deal with and get out of the way. Because this is all about God. When we gather here, he does other stuff. But actually, we gather for him. It's all about him. And the best worship songs tell us that. We gather to acclaim. Now, acclaim means to praise enthusiastically and publicly. We proclaim him as king, but we acclaim him. We praise him enthusiastically. Enthusiasm comes from the Greek word entheos. means literally to be filled with God. When we praise him, we're filled with God. And again, this is this thing. We should never be too cool for school <laughs> around worship. If we can't let loose before our king, our maker, then who can we let loose for? And I'd suggest maybe that's who we might be worshipping. So let's give God our all. Psalm 100 verse 2, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself and making music to the Lord in your heart. See the connection, Holy Spirit and worship. Can't separate the two. Um, Louis Giglio said, if our worship isn't visible, comprehensive and extravagant, the gospel we heard must have been tiny, empty and cheap. And he says this. Now, this is a line that I hope you can all remember. Worship is when we God, give God his breath back. You know what that means? He gave us our breath. Every breath we have is his. So when we give it back to him, we're actually in right order. So I encourage you, as we gather in worship, come prepared. Have grateful hearts and come to praise him enthusiastically and publicly. We will get there. Testifying. Psalm 105 verses 1 and 2. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the nations. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonders. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. So we see all of those things that are at work. And you could probably walk into a Catholic mass and you could see it done in a slightly different way, but it's actually a very similar expression to what we're talking about here. Testifying to who the Lord is and what he's done. It's also a place for hearing. Acts 2.42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. As you invite each other around houses for meals we've been invited out to somebody's house in the church this week for a meal and that's all part of what we talk about gathering in worship we can have this time like this where we have wonderful musicians and we have talents that God puts on display for his glory that we can enjoy and we can feel confident to sing and croak out a little song in um, because somebody has uh, a voice like Lily's but this is also happening as you gather over a cup of tea and you sit around and you put God first and you say, let's pray for one another. I heard this week of somebody at women's group or even just even on the women's chat requested prayer was not getting paid according to how they should be paid. And uh, could you pray for us? The week later, she's one of a handful of people who gets promoted. 
God's into the ordinary stuff. And I'm looking at you, Phil, and the times we've prayed for your work and the strike that was seemingly never ending. But then something shifted. Not even talking about prayer, but you can't separate these things. As you go for one, you get them all. Encourage. Let us think of ways to motivate one another, it says in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Wow, that was written in the first century. (laughs) 2,000 years later, how much nearer is that day? Every one of you has a gift to bring, whether it's on show or it's around the coffee table later as you reach out a hand and you steady somebody and you say, God's, God's there. He's got you. This is how his church works. Right, coming into land, we gather to remember. Because who's it all about? And, you know, I love this bit more than anything else. The kids, maybe they don't fully get all the worship and some of the words and concepts. Maybe they don't get the teaching, and that's why, hopefully, when we get good kids teaching, they can engage. But kids get this. When we gather around the table, and I know that there's some chocolates and things outside that a few kids have already had a little sneaky beak in and thought, oh, we're looking forward to that later. But really, this is what it's all about. And in the early church, they would have a lovely, well, quite a few roast lambs, I would imagine, as well, in the midst of the the mix. And they would do this remembrance. It says in Luke 22, 19, Jesus said, he took the bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Acts 2.46, they worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And before I call you up to the table, I want to take you back to where we started the year in Romans 12 when I felt the Lord was very gracious, he was gracious to me and he was gracious to a number of others who were tired and weary and it's like, oh, another year. Okay, we've got to go again. (laughs) And it's important to have seasons of rest. Rest needs to build into this. But in Romans 12, it says our true and proper worship, our worshipful response in view of God's mercy and all that he's done in the 11 chapters before is to be living sacrifices. And as you read the rest of Romans 12, Romans 12, after verses 1 and 2, it unpacks it as the humble service in the body of Christ. So today, you might not realize it, but people did stuff to make all of this happen. And it's in doing the stuff that we serve one another. We don't know who was there cleaning the toilets before us, but we're grateful for them. We don't know who will be there at the end locking the door and clearing up, but we're grateful for them. Because all of us as the body, we bring about this majestic thing that we call church when we put our hands up and we open our mouths and we give back to God the breath that he deserves. And there's a couple of things there, and I picked these up and I really enjoyed them. Um, It was nice not to have to create something from scratch. Um, Talks about serving the family first, and that text might be a bit small, but the concept is if you're at home, Help out with the cooking and the cleaning. (laughs) 
do your part, but don't just do your part. Enjoy doing somebody else's part and helping them too. This is where we learn it. And then when you show up at church, ask, what can I do? Young and old can do this. What can I do? How can I help? And often we'll see uh, Geordie and Rhino help carry the stuff back up to the car at the end of the service. And uh, it's where you cut your teeth. And then later on, um, this guy talks about believers and disciples. Disciples when you start to take responsibility for your own journey and walk with Christ. And then as you move from a disciple to a disciple maker, it's when you start to look out for others and how you can bring them on in the journey. And sometimes you serve in your gifting. And I love this. Serve through sacrifice. Choose something that you don't like and offer yourself in that area. How much more of a gift, a living sacrifice is that giving back to God? There's certain jobs like cleaning the toilet. But actually, we, we don't have enough people to teach the kids at the moment. Is that right, love? People drop off and we understand they've got busy lives and things like that. But really, this is what it's all about. Let's get ourselves together. Let's put him first in our lives. And then let's kind of labor for this generation so they can have a better start than we ever had. So let's remember. Let's gather around the table. As we come, I'd like us to uh, just stay together at the front rather than go back to your seats today. So just grab a bit and then find a bit around the front. And today we're going to do things not so individual because I think this message doesn't deserve an individual response. If the Holy Spirit wants to go there, he can, and he'll do what he will do. But I want us to come as one people, and I want us to come and ask him, Lord, what do you want to share with me this week? What's on your heart? He knows your needs before you even ask. And we're going to trust him that he's going to take care of those this week. But what if you could carry your Lord's burden for, for a week and pray into that? Maybe it's for somebody else here. The Lord has a burden. But let's ask Jesus that simple question. What's on your heart? Would you share with me this week how I can carry that burden for you?